by going to the divine and asking, I think we get a kind of AM connection to that. By True. going to the divine and giving, we're right into that stream that made all this in the first place. When we go and say, I'm not asking for anything, I'm giving you this devotion and I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to, why are we uh, talking about rabbits? Rabbits, that stuff on the internet that reproduces a lot and maybe we, uh, it's probably just not that interesting. Let's go a little deeper. Let's do heavy things lightly. And today, I don't know, we just do great stuff on episode 48 because today we have on the author of the best-selling novel, Shantaram, The Mountain Shadow, lots of good music he's producing, including a movie, well, a, a TV series is coming out. On Shantaram is coming out. And Gregory David Roberts, the author of the book, is here to talk to us about old world, new world stuff, transformation, metanoia, what does it mean to be a true human being, evolution, and lots of other things. On Watar, episode 48, Gregory David Roberts and the nature of change, among other things. How are you, Greg? Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, very, very well, 100%, and sending blessings and love from Jamaica. Yeah, so you're in Jamaica. Tell us. So I think a lot of people who listen and are getting to know our podcast probably know about who you are, but why don't you just lay it out? Okay, sure. In t- <laughs> that, how long have we got? <laughs> I'll cut you off. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. No, no problem. Um, it, Jamaica is a place that I came to originally to uh, record music. And uh, my soulmate, um, A, uh, she had been telling me for many years, you got to come to Jamaica, you got to come to Jamaica, you're going to love it. I kept saying, I'm an India guy. I go there like three, four times a year. Why would I go to Jamaica? I'm already flat out going to India, Australia, Switzerland, and so on. And finally, when I wanted to record some songs, um, I asked her to find me a studio with um, a singers who had a nice, really deep, rich sound. Uh, I wanted them to understand the spiritual because the album was called Love and Faith. And I didn't want to have to sort of explain that, um, which you wouldn't in India, for instance. If you're recording in India and it's called Love and Faith, everyone's going to get it from the get go. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted that kind of feel. Um, and also I wanted a, um, a really rich bottom end bass sound. I wanted something that was deep because I, I sort of live and work in deep house. And I love the deep sound of deep music. Um, it gets, gets all the juices flowing for me. It just gets me moving. So. She came back to me and said, I found the studio, I found the, the musicians, I found the uh, recording artists, the singers, I found the engineers and mixers. Everything is there. You just plug and play. You walk in. Great. Where is it? Jamaica. <laughs> so that was where I came the first time to record some music here with um, Jamaican artists. They've since I've come back, I think, seven times to record here. Um, we've done a full album of 16 wow. songs called Love and Faith. And that original crew of Jam- all Jamaican artists, singers, um, our musicians, engineers, mixers, uh, it's still our family. It's the same crew that we continue to work with um, several years later. Um, and right through COVID, we kept our singers going by um, providing some jobs in between uh, that were digital jobs. Say, okay, here's a file, add something to this, put something on this. So they were still getting some paychecks through COVID because one of the industries that been, has been hit clearly the hardest of all is entertainment all over mm, yeah, the world. Everything right, shut right. down. Mm-hmm. Thank God things are opening up here and there again now in different places and there's, there are some opportunities, but it was devastating for the entertainment industry. So coming here in, in the first part to record, getting to know people here more and more, coming again and knowing people from every walk of life in Jamaica, I fell in love with the people and the people just won me over. So I kept coming back again and again 
And then I had the experience during COVID of spending four months on my own in a closed down resort with no one else there. So I was completely alone in this place for four months here in Jamaica during COVID. There were no flights out. It wasn't possible to leave. Mm-hmm. And in that, that had the I was washing my sheets and my towels in the bath and, and drying things on the line. I was cooking cowboy style food in a, a frying pan over mm-hmm. a fire with beans and and stuff. I was um, I looked up uh, the the cats that were on the property. I ended up with five cats on my doorstep that I was, that sort of lived with me. I had to put a cat door in so they could come and go. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, in those four months alone in Jamaica on 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 the seaside, um, getting to listen, there was no one there. Well, the animals came back. The birds came back. Everything returned. The, the birds were filled with trees. Wow, with the bats okay. came back. Um, the mongoose families just roamed freely. They, they didn't hide or scurry. They just roamed freely where they want. They basked in the sunlight. I then started to fall in love with Jamaican nature, with the nature in this country, the healing nature of the of the land, of the trees, of so much of it preserved by the people who kept their country green and beautiful. So at first I fell in love with the people, and then I fell in love with the country when I had four months alone here. It was a tremendous time. It was a gift from the universe at a time of tragedy and transformation with COVID. I lost friends, so many people did, all over the world, Mm -hmm. horrifying tragedy. And at the same time, all of us were forced into a kind of transformation zone where if we wanted to, we could could gauge with that and, you know, find a global change. What what really matters to me? What's really important to me in my life and so on? That, That happened right across the world and is still happening right now. So that's the quick answer for Jamaica. It was the music that brought me here, and I love the country and the people. So, so you're you're making music. You're an artist making music, and you're also obviously a, a writer. And that starts in India. And uh, the writing? No, I started writing when I was five years old. I wrote my first play when I was five. I, I sold my first story uh, for money, short story, to a magazine when I was sixteen years old. And, you know, framed the check and had it on the wall and, and knew this is my calling. This is what I'm born to do. I wrote always. Um, I've always written, whether it's in a battlefield, a prison or, you know, a cafe in um, Turin. I, wherever I was, I always had a journal with me. I was always writing constantly, whether I was on the run, whether I was in prison or whether I was a free man, I was always writing. But I've also all done other arts. Uh, while I was a fugitive for 10 years after I escaped from prison, I supported myself very, very often across the world as a singer. And in, during that time, formed two bands. And one of them was so successful, we got a three-record deal offered to us. While you were on the run. Exactly. I had to say no. <laughs> the guys were excited in the band, but I had to say no because I was on the run. So music has always been a part of it. Um, I was raised as a singer by singers in the family. My brother is um, Australia's greatest songwriter. Um, he wrote all of the songs for the Black Sorrows. Anyone who wants to listen to some amazing wow. music, you'll hear the Black Sorrows. So we've had a musical family. I've always been involved in music. And this is the first opportunity in the last few years since I sort of came back onto the grid after secluding myself for a while. Right. We can talk about that later, perhaps. But coming sure. back onto the grid, I had the opportunity to start recording and uh, to start doing music again. The other thing that I like to do is art. I like to create sculptures and collages and so on. This is a different kind of expression. The liberation for a writer in these different media is that you can leave that um, really essential part of who you are and that essential authorial perspective 
you can leave that all behind and completely immerse yourself in a different art, in music, in collage, and making a huge wall-sized collage. This takes months of work, and each time you do that, it's a refuge from writing, so to speak. Mm -hmm, when you mm -hmm. go into the music, this is also its own kind of refuge because what it requires to write a novel and to work in that writing zone is completely different to what it takes to immerse yourself in music or in the creation of art. But those things are always there, and they're a big part of what we're doing today. And so people who know kind of your life, your story, they know that you go to prison. <laughs> And we can talk about that. I, I kind of want to get into some of the spiritual insights and lessons you've learned from all of this. But do you think your story about having done some thieving and robbing and, and being well known as, as a criminal in Australia and then being in jail and then being on the are these all essential to your art today or are they not relevant? I think if you're an artist who loses your way, as I did, um, I became the, the despicable thief. I, you know, pointed a toy gun at people. They didn't know it was a toy gun. I put fear in their, into their hearts, and I took money to get heroin. I said, please and thank you. I apologized. They called me the gentleman bandit. But the reality is I put fear into people for money. It's one of the lowest things that a human being can do to another human being. And uh, <laughs> talk about an unjust cause. And I looked at it myself afterwards, years afterwards. And I, I mean, I knew at the time what I was doing was wrong. I couldn't stop. I was a junkie. And heroin was the God in my life. It was everything, mother, father, brother, sister, God in my life. And it is for many, many junkies. They are not the same human being. You will do things as a junkie that you would never imagine that you, you could do. Right. When you recover, you look back and you can't imagine how you did it. How can you have been? People looked up to me before I threw my life in the gutter and became a thief. Before I did this and hurt people with this and harmed others for my own benefit, before I did that, I, I would never have imagined that people looked up to me at, on the campus, in, in my social life. People did. I was involved in drama groups, theater, so many different activities. And in every one of them, people liked me and looked up to me. And then suddenly I did this. Within a few months of not so long of becoming a heroin addict, it was all over and all gone. When you look back and so on, the only thing you can do is try to um, make sure that it never happens again. Right. <laughs> when you're clear enough to see what you've done, firstly, that's the first thing, that this, I, I, this has to stop right now, the harm I'm causing to others because of my own lack of control of myself, my own lack of understanding of who I am and what I am. This has to stop. The harm to others has to stop, number one. And that's family, everyone that I've hurt through my actions in my life. And how did my family feel when I was in prison for 10 years and on the run for 20, for 10 years? That's 20 years out of their lives where they're worrying every single day. Mm -hmm. The victims of my crimes, myself, my family, all of this. And then the ongoing repercussions because you continue to lead a life of crime on the run. But when you look back, number one, stop the harm. Number two, accept responsibility. And um, look at yourself and say, this pain, all of this pain and humiliation is a beast of my own creation. I can't blame another person, another circumstance or the circumstances of my schooling or my child life or anything. I have to take responsibility from this point on. Mm -hmm. And the third is to know that you can shape your own destiny. You are not powerless. That you, fate is the set of cards you're dealt when you come into this world. The genetic endowment you have, the family you have, the culture you're born into, the skin color you have, all of these things is fate throwing a set of cards at you. Destiny is how you play it. 
you can let that destiny be shaped by others and the society around you and become a, a, a character in someone else's movie, or you can live your own movie, so to speak, in your yeah. life, be the central figure in your own life, determine the outcome, a positive outcome for yourself. Say, this, this destiny is in my hands to shape. I can shape this going forward. So those three steps are really critical in living with it. Now, getting right back to your question, and is I think when you've had a life like mine and you're an artist and this has happened and you've done this, you've thrown your life in the gutter, you can either accept the many, many offers that come to you when you go back into the world, you can accept those many, many offers to get into the world and engage about justice, the justice system, imprisonment, criminality generally, criminology, etc. I had I was inundated with offers to get involved and so on. But I made a conscious choice to say, I want to pull the lessons I've learned from this with me and the lessons that others gave me along the way. I want to pull those from that experience, but I don't want that to be the defining characteristic of what I am as a yes, person and yes. going forward. So I'm happy to talk about it. I engage with others. I've worked with young offenders in programs to try to turn their lives around. I've worked with lots of other young people who are right on the borderline and so on and trying to pull them back from that and give them an alternative by saying, this is how messed up it can be. Look, how much of my life I lost, how many people I harmed. Trust me, the time you may think it doesn't mean anything to you right now, but the time will come when it does. There's a 3 a.m. of the soul for all of us and it's, a reckoning is coming. And you'll be alone when that happens and your skin will light up. The hairs will stand up. You'll have goosebumps thinking about the harm you've done to others because wow. that, debt, that debt cannot be replaced. So this, this is a choice I made to go forward as an artist to inform myself to a, with lessons, but not to make that a consistent and continuous part of my output as an artist. This is making me, I don't even... I wasn't sure what to do with that part of the story because when we spoke off camera, it was enjoyable. I don't really, I, I didn't even want to go there, but the problem is, is it gives context for people who don't know. But I saw somebody in our first conversation that was just filled with insight, not so much because of that chapter, but because of an enlightenment. Like you learned something about yourself that I, I that's the part I really want to talk about a lot. So in the Greek in the Greek tradition, the one that I'm working with and the one that metanoia, the one that says something about turning around or going another way or being awoken to a, a change, you're doing that all the time. What What is your... So on this show, we have this old world, new world concept. And one of the ideas is that everyone is religious in the sense that everyone has a set of ligaments that hold their body together, that hold their worldview together. So you're operating within the world according to some principles or some, some truths you, you hold. I'm, I'm holding some, my wife, everyone in the world is trying to make their way through this type of, these ideas that are dear to them. What are the ideas dear to you that allow you now to, to go into the world and make music and, and write books and, and, and be a part of the world in a different way than you did before. What's holding your world together? Well, what's holding it together is love, faith, and devotion. Uh, the, the wellspring for, I think, for any transformation in any person, and it's an ongoing process, as you just pointed out, Nobody who's sort of reached their level and said, I know everything, it's all <laughs> great. It doesn't work that way. No. You, and you'll end up 
refining constant. Once you actually get onto a path that's pretty right for you and, and that makes some kind of sense to you, it'll continually be refined. So you've got to expect that. You're not going to maybe directly contradict what you're saying. Just to go back for a second to the question of religion and, and so on and the spiritual. Um, I've immersed myself in various religions over the years because I was always searching for answers. So I learned to pray for years and years, learned to pray with um, the believers in many different religions and got involved, let's say five altogether, and um, learned with them, learned their, to say their prayers, learned the rituals, prayed with them, studied with them, listened to their texts, read their texts in English, of course, in translation, which is never as good, but I read them in English. And at least two different translations to get a variation from what the translator, maybe there was some difference. So I read the holy books and I studied and I went with them, but I never found myself connected enough to any religion to join it. I'm maybe just a natural born anarchist, I don't know, but I, um, I, never, joined, I never joined a gang in prison. Um, Is, you that know, right? I was, Is that right? Is that right? You're not a joiner. No. Okay. No. So this is not my thing, really, I guess. But with the religions, um, that I think there are some distinctions to make. Firstly, so I've immersed myself in them. I respect them. I know that there is so, everywhere I went in every religion I looked at and studied, I found so many sincere people tremendously sincere, tremendously authentic. And they wanted me to join them in their sincerity and sure, sure. their joy, And if you know what I mean. So I would never say anything against religion. I just want to make this clear. But I'm not personally a religious person. I, I, I don't belong to any religion. And I think there are a number of differences between, there are overlaps, but differences between religion and the spiritual. I think that um, religions are, are a set of beliefs things that you believe. There's a list. And if you believe those things, if you accept that set of beliefs and follow the practices, you are a member of that religion. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the spiritual is not about what you believe. It's about what you experience inside yourself, within your personal experience of the spiritual. That is a personal thing. In the same way, we can make parallels with science. On the one hand, you've got religion that says, here is the formula. And in science, you've got science that says, here's a formula. And science is predicated on the elevation of doubt. They, it, you must doubt every um, theory and right. test it again and again and right. again. Right. And constant refinements. And it's the elevation of doubt as a very useful tool as you go forward in the scientific method. And the spiritual is predicated on the elimination of doubt. It is called the elimination of doubt is called faith. (laughs) And there, in my experience, I have found many people in religions who were deeply spiritual. And I've found many people who had no religion at all who were also deeply spiritual. So I I personally have not found that the religion is an essential requirement for a person to be spiritual, feel spiritual and connect Mm -hmm. spiritually. There's no doubt that it does work for those people who are within those religions. It just wasn't for me personally. Another little difference, and please don't be offended, religions, but religions have lawyers and bank accounts, and the spiritual <laughs> has no lawyer and yeah, no bank right. account. You, right. can't, you, know, you can't say to the divine in your own personal spiritual connection, you can't say, hang on a minute, let me call my lawyer. It doesn't work that way. Right. And you know, so they're, they're, they're different things. They're, one is institutional. And it's to do with the uh, aggregate um, blessing. When you get so many people together with so much sincerity and authenticity, mm-hmm. it's a massive blessing. And it works. 
You get a lot of people together with the same good spirit. It could be at a football match or a, or a concert. Right. You get a lot of people, especially in a church or a mosque or a synagogue, you get a lot of people together with the same authenticity and the same sincerity. That's a, a battery of positive energy bursting out of that group of people. So there's a huge amount to be gained there. But also, for me, the spiritual is an intensely individual, personal experience, and it can't be duplicated. In science, you have to validate through experiment. In this, you cannot duplicate the experiment. Yeah, Every so, contact is unique. So I think of it, because as a school teacher, and, and you're a type of teacher, so you're going to know what I'm saying, is there is like this way to offer to a student some principles that they may or may not have experienced. Integrity may be something that they're learning about. And so I say, this is good. But it really won't matter until they've actually experienced a moment where they were not integral, where they didn't have integrity. And then as they progress, it's like a monk in the Hindu tradition or the, the Orthodox Christian tradition. That what they've gone to do is actuate all the principles They've gone and tried to strip themselves on a continuum of having learned about them in my mind, and now I'm going to experience them in my body and in my very soul. And so I see it as a continuum where, where the spiritual elders are actually now living the thing that maybe me way back in baby town is just learning about through a kind of intellectual principle. And the principle becomes praxis. Right, you've got, you've got a Hindu walking around, like you said, a lawyer who's going to the bank. But then right next to him, he passes a Hindu or someone who identifies with that tradition who's without any owning anything and sitting on the street in a spiritual state, but they're both Hindus or they're both Orthodox Christians or they're both whatever. I'm interested, do you see it as a, are you growing towards something? Because for me, you have to start, like the tradition has been handed to me for a reason. Like I want to grab onto something as a learner. And then that thing propels me past the principle into the praxis. Does, is that a wacky concept to you? Is it making sense? It makes sense. It's just that I probably find um, some you know, confusion with the word tradition in this sense. I'm not sure that tradition and religion um, are interchangeable. Um, I, I think there's probably two different things. I see. Um, and you know, religions are orthodoxies and um, traditions are uh, cultural expressions over time. Uh, just to go back one quick point, and then let's talk about principles. Yeah. One quick point. There are basically boils down to this. You either believe that before the first human being on this planet, before there was ever a human who evolved from our common ancestor and our ancestral Eve, mitochondrial Eve, before the first one of us ever walked this planet, do you think it was a spiritual planet or do you think it became spiritual when we got there? And mm. when we woke up now, I think it was always a spiritual planet. Yeah. I think yeah. the spiritual has always been here. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that we connect with it. We are creatures of this planet and we are creatures who can connect with the spiritual. And I think for most of our history, we did. We've tended to cut ourselves off from the spiritual nature of the world around us. And many, many cultures are telling us this. I see. This is I a see. Big, big problem. So, just to go on to principles, uh, if I can do this really quickly, because we don't have a huge amount of time, and I think yeah. the question you raised is hugely important. Okay. For me, it helps. And once again, I'm not a teacher. I'm the eternal student. I, see. <laughs> um, I, think, I don't think I'll ever stop I learning. Mean, I read so much. I look at so much. I study so much. I'm learning so much. I'm 
so fascinated with every new bit of data that comes in, with every spiritual experience that's different to the one before, that, that gives you a new in, insight into what you're doing yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I think when it comes to, to principles and so on, I tend to divide things into, or not divide, but to look at things from two perspectives. The material reality in which we live, this material world. And then there's the spiritual world. So I get my guidance from both. In this material reality, I use an ethical compass that's fair, honest, positive, creative. I've studied most of the cultures of the world uh, for about 12 years, spent a lot of time studying the most benign and positive aspects that are recognized in cultures everywhere, um, including uh, gatherer-hunter societies. What do they regard as a good? What do they regard as a not good? Mm-hmm. And I studied those things for about 12 years, and I ended up with a pretty comprehensive list of things people regarded as not good in, in most cultures and think that where they overlapped and things that most cultures regarded as goods. I then reduced those down to four points and kicked it around with a number of really good thinkers. And we went through it again and again and again and with other minds. And eventually I came up with fair, honest, positive, creative. I see. Okay. If, to know, know the value of those, you can look at them from the other side. To be in life unfair, dishonest, negative, and destructive. I have to admit before all that I have been that. I've been all of that, dishonest and unfair and negative and destructive. I've been that. What I strive to be is the opposite of that for the positive reasons, to be fair in what I do, to be honest in what I do, to be positive and to remain creative and not allow any kind of destructive or negative element to come into what I do. So that's how I handle this material world. I ask mm-hmm. myself, can I, before I do anything, can I tick all four boxes? And if I can't, I go back till I can. I'll have to think about it and go on until I can tick all four boxes, then I move on. I see. From the spiritual perspective, I th- I have two questions that for me are very useful. Those two spiritual questions are, one, am I worthy? Number one. And, for example, I might want to start up a new friendship with someone. I've, they're an acquaintance. We've become um, closer and closer over time, working together or getting to know one another. I think, you know, I'd like to invite that person for dinner with their friend, with my friends, and get to know that person a bit better. That and make a friendship. Mm -hmm. In the material world, we might ask lots of questions about what that relationship might mean and how we might go about it. And I think being fair, honest, positive, and creative would help. Mm -hmm. But it's nice to add in the spiritual questions. And the first one is Am I worthy of that person? If I start that friendship and two weeks later there's an accident and that person is bedridden for some time, would I be there? Would I? Wow. Would I spare the time? Am I worthy of this friendship? Not is that person worthy of me first, but am I worthy? Am I ready? If I think of having a child, am I worthy of a child? Right. If I think of having a dog, a pet, a dog, I want a dog or a cat or something, am I worthy of a dog? Am I worthy? And that's a spiritual understanding of that. The second question is how much giving is in my intention? Because I, I think the intention is, particularly spiritually, is fundamental to manifesting a path in front of yourself, to determining your destiny, it all comes back to the purity of your intention or the positivity or, if you like, the amount of giving. So the two questions, am I worthy? How much giving is in my intention? How much is it about what I can get, say, from that new friendship? Or how much is it about what I can give to this new friendship? I think I see this person's terrific, but, oh, boy, if I give this and this, this person can fly because I have this contact and I have this. 
how much is about what I can give, how much is about what I can get. Wow. So if I look at things and say it's fair, honest, positive, and creative, I feel that I'm worthy, and there's a lot of giving in my intention, I can go forward. I hear humility as a type of an essence in a lot of what you just said. Now, the words, you didn't say humility, but I hear it. And one of the things on the show we're always talking about is old world, new world. And, and so in my beloved adopted country, which is the Georgian Republic, I know you love India. I see this, cla- it's, it's clash is not the right word, but I see a, div- a division, a choice being made by people in Georgia and it, it sort of hinges on this old world, new world idea, which is to what degree am I going to have to ask humble questions of myself and what degree am I going to move forward strongly and into the future and command what I want to command out of life? And it kind of lines up as traditional or old world versus new world. There's a type of individualism at play in Georgia and you can see the Georgian culture, I wouldn't say being ripped apart, but it's choosing, it's choosing sort of a new way. Is it happening in India? Am I off? Is there maybe not such a thing as old world, new world? No, no, I don't think it's contrived at all. And I think it's very valuable. But And uh, once again, I think probably it's new world, old world, older world. Uh, and yeah, the right. older world is the one that gives us most of our data. And that's, see, for 250,000 years, at least, we were gatherer hunters. That's right. And for only 25,000 years, we've been domesticated. So we mostly go into this 25,000 to see who we are, but that's not who we are. Who we are is the first 250,000 years. If you ask the question, for instance, why give in a world predicated on dog eat dog, every man for himself, rich and poor, um, why does anyone give? Where does it come from? It doesn't come from this world. It comes from the older world. It doesn't come from this new world or the old world. It comes from the older world. Sort of our bones, sort of our, our, our essence that was formed up in evolution, it, it comes out of that, I don't know, how, what, what, are you, what are you calling that? Is it our human essence? Is our it, humanity. I think our humanity. our humanity, our humanity, our common humanity was born in the struggle to survive without sharp teeth, without claws, without massive strength, um, and without massive speed. Um, we were outgunned by most of the creatures around us, and we had to love one another. We had to share. We had to cooperate and protect one another. If we had been as brutal in the ancient past, uh, now gatherer hunter history, as we are today, we would not be here. Right. We are here because they um, forged our virtues of caring, sharing, and courage. Is that what your writing is about? Uh, is that what sorry? your writing has been about? That feels like the yes, undertone. Yeah. Our common humanity that the ancient ancestors gave us, uh, the, a set of virtues all over the ancient, ancient world in the gatherer hunter past. They created a set of virtues that kept the clans together and that when they stood together, no animal on the planet could defeat them once they stood together. Despite the fact that we don't have the sharp teeth, the claws and all of that, <laughs> we have such a spectacular capacity to cooperate and also to sacrifice for one another. We right. will give our lives for the clan, for the mother, for the sister, for the child. We will give our lives. Now, many, many animals do. Many animals do. This is not unique to us. But the quality of our love for one another is unparalleled on this planet, yeah, the I capacity to love one another. And there's, you know, if we look into the ancient, ancient past, 
We've not yet discovered anywhere any signs of massacres where one clan massacred another clan. But as soon as we domesticated ourselves, not long after that, anywhere you dig, you'll find massacres, bodies, bones, mm-hmm. all of this on the, based on the premise of private property, that one person can own a piece of the planet rather than the original idea was that the planet owned us. <laughs> oh, this is rich. Now we're into something rich. I tend to agree. I think we're all stewards, right? We're stewards of, a, of the creator's um, gifts. That's just, this is what I want to say. So before I ask you, is there a necessity for a divine creator in the world that you're, you're painting for us? In other words, does there have to be a transcendent other, do you think? Or are we, do we just need to appeal to something within us, regardless of if that exists in an eternity? The divine, um, some kind of concept of the divine is essential to my um, devotion. Uh, I don't know anything about God. Um, too big an idea. Too big, way big. Whoa. Too big. <laughs> I don't know enough about my own universe. I don't know enough about my own body. I don't know enough about the, the ocean point. and my planet. Uh, how can I know? I don't know anything oh, about God. But um, I think it doesn't make any sense to take an athe- atheistic position given the metaphysical nature of light. light has A photon of light has both physical properties. It can bounce off a mirror, and we can magnify it with a magnifying glass. It's really there. It has physical properties. But it also has metaphysical properties because unlike anything else in the universe, it has no mass, no volume, travels at the speed of light, and is uh, interconnected um, to charged photons of light separated by the width of the universe will change uh, their polarity. Change one, you change the other. This is metaphysical, not physical. It's beyond the physical understanding that we have of the world. So if there's even one thing in the universe that has some metaphysical beyond physical properties, like it doesn't weigh anything, it has no volume, it's traveling at the speed of light, so it's outside the flow of time as we know it, and so on, and it is connected across the universe and any two photons and so on. So this pairing capacity and other things in it these are metaphysical properties. Yeah. For me, yeah. it doesn't make any sense to say to deny the metaphysical alter, altogether when the most fundamental unit in the universe, the photon of light, because nothing happens without an exchange of photons of light. Nothing. So with, if this no fundamental life. thing right. no life. is yeah. slightly metaphysical in some ways, it doesn't make sense to deny the metaphysical altogether. So for me, I, I, I accept it. Also, I, I look into the quantum. And I, I see there that there is a completely different understanding of what's going on here in this material reality. That's right. That's right. And that allows me to think there may be a quantum understanding of this, a material understanding, and then a spiritual understanding. That there may be layers of understanding of what's going on. Right. And predicated on that, I um, engaged, took the leap of faith. And for me now, of concept that there is um, a first cause of all of this that made this infinite creation machine of the multiverse of multiverses, and so on, that just goes on forever from the creative mind of God. I don't know. To think that there is a first cause is fundamental. I'm trying to connect. I don't know that I can ever connect with anything that vast, but I do believe I, I can connect with the spiritual element that's in this world that is a part of the expression of that divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is the kind of stuff. So what happened to us, what happened to, to me is we, we went through this process of trying to figure out the best way to sort of serve uh, I had experiences overseas. People who listen to the podcast know I was in Peace Corps, yada, yada. We started first things. And basically what happened is 
is we saw that the reason that anything good happened is because we were broken down through, through what I think you and I talked about as sacred giving or sacrifice. Our volunteers get broken down to a point where they can see. Well, guess what? During that time period, I picked up your book at an airport with a buddy of mine. He said, you got to read this, Shantaram. I, I just was on a long flight. And then something happened. I got dragged in. And of course, it's well-written, and of course, it's a beautiful book. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm an author, too, and I saw what you're doing, and it's just fantastic. But what happened was, is one scene captivated me to the point where now we share, if you come sign on to go serve for two years with us, we give you Shantaram, among other stuff. We do some Dostoevsky, too. And, and, and here's Shantaram. And then someone's saying, wait a minute, what has this got to do with anything? And, but they love the book. But there's the scene when uh, uh, Lin Baba finds himself stuck with more or less nothing to do but sit in, t- in, in, in the, the ghetto, and then people start to come to him for help. <laughs> and the only reason they can come to him for help is because he's there. And he becomes a doctor, right? <laughs> and Lim, Lim Baba is the icon of the image that we're trying to give to people, which is to say, calm down. Don't show up with your plans, especially your plans for people you don't know. Think about the arrogance in this. And just listen, and they'll tell you what to do. And so your book became mandatory reading for our guys, in part because of that beauty. So. Let me just say thank you. But also, must we suffer to serve on some level? Is that a thing? I mean, it happened in Shantaram. I ha- I've got to read your second book, forgive me. I'm working on it. But do we suffer to serve? Are they connected? It depends what we mean by suffering, of course. But no, I don't think suffering is a requirement for service. Um, maybe some hardship um, in service, no doubt. But there's also many rewards. But suffering takes it to a different level. Um, you know, suffering can take you to sacrifice, and sacrifice can take you to penance. Um, so, and which is beyond, which is a continual sacrifice, where that sacrifice is a part of your way of life, as it is with the monk you mentioned, for instance. That's where sacrifice becomes penance. Years and years and years of this. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not just I'm going to dip in and do it and come back right. after a ceremony over there. And so on. That, that's when sacrifice becomes penance. Um, I, I think also, just to go back one, one step, what we're talking about here is, you know, um, sacred giving, so to speak, or sacred doing, sacred making. Um, it, it's not necessarily just giving. Um, sacrifice is also sacred making and sacred doing and, and so on. What is the element that makes it sacrifice other than service when a small amount of it is sacred? So you just say, I'm, I'm going to clean up this beach. And 10% of it, you just say a bit of this, this is for you too. To, this is for you too. I, I hope you enjoy mm-hmm. while I do this. Because then a part, you, you're going to do a new song. I, every time we start, we, we start as a group of musicians and, and singers. We get together. We, we hold hands. We, um, or maybe now <laughs> we have to preserve our, our social distancing. But right. we, we get together, we connect, and we um, make ourselves fully aware that a little part of what we're doing Part of what we're doing is for the world. We want people to enjoy. We want them to experience an entertainment that we've created for them. But a part of it is for something bigger than ourselves. And we make that clear from the beginning. And that then becomes sacrifice, not capital S sacrifice as a soldier gives their life or their limb 
for their for their you know uh, fellow soldiers for their country for their people this is massive massive and um, every single time every where we support veterans everywhere the more you believe in peace the more we have to support veterans mm -hmm. i just want to get that out there we just have to this is what has happened to them if you want to see sacrifice go there yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. but that to on a daily basis lowercase s as long as it's a part of what you do is connected to something bigger than yourself in any sense that that means makes sense to you that becomes then sacrifice it's mm -hmm. a it's a task it's a job and so on and when service becomes seva in the indian tradition you may go and clean a floor um, in a temple and walk away and do it for wages you may go to that temple and clean that floor unasked and walk away unpaid that same service one is a service and it's identical but the other one is called seva when it is done with the intention of a spiritual gift oh, and so okay. on so that's where service has that intention and just one quick thing because i know we don't have much time but i'd really love to get this out for me, the logical step as a rational thinker, as somebody who didn't who checked so many boxes with regard to philosophy, religion, theology, I to make a leap of faith myself as a rational thinker, one of the things that made sense to me, and please don't be offended, religious people, whatever you believe. <laughs> don't, but, don't worry. Um, one of the things that made sense to me was that I couldn't see a logic for a a take a, a god that takes or destroys. If there is such a thing as a divine. The divine, by definition, does everything perfectly. So in that case, if, if it was within the logical remit of divineness for the divine to take, the divine would take perfectly and there'd be nothing. There is a lot of stuff that isn't divine. So it doesn't make sense that the divine is a taker. So the divine, and there's so much that the divine must be by logic a giver. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me for the divine to be a destroyer because the if the divine was a destroyer, if it was in that logic remit of divineness, the divine would destroy perfectly and there'd be nothing but the divine. But there's so much that isn't. That is, that is an expression, a divine expression. So it seems to me that the, the divine, by definition, has to be an eternal creator, an eternal giver. By nature. So if, mm -hmm. if that's, and if that makes sense, as it did to me, then if, the, if this is all an expression of divine giving, then giving to the divine back again would be the chat the let's say frequency of connection that you can tune into by going to the divine and asking i think we get a kind of am connection to that by right. going to the divine and giving we're right into that stream that made all this in the first place when mm -hmm. we go and say i'm not asking for anything i'm giving you this devotion and i hope you enjoy it in whichever right. way you might play guitar you might right. dance on the beach, whatever it is that you offer, maybe just a few moments of your heartbeat silence, that whatever you offer, say, I give this to you and I don't ask for anything. Right. Bang! What a connection opens up. Bang! Because you're straight into the frequency that made all this in the first place. Yeah. When you go and ask, of course, that's a valid thing to do. Please help me. I'm desperate. <laughs> this may be, you know, that's such a natural human thing to do. Daddy, mummy, please help me. Oh, please. <laughs> that's, I, right. that's so natural and so right. And of course, that, that's going to make a connection, no doubt about it. But is it the strongest connection you can probably forge? I don't think so. I think by going and tuning into the frequency that made this, which is giving, we get a deeper and stronger connection. So I'd recommend to anyone who is experiencing their own personal form of devotion for a little while just try that and just say this is for you i know you are you you're beyond wanting and needing because whatever you are you're bigger than that 
you, you're beyond wanting and needing, you're the divine, but you made a universe in which I'm a free creature, I have free will, I can freely give you this or mm -hmm. freely not. And it's up to me to, to, to make that decision. So I freely give it to you. you. Perhaps you made it for that reason. I freely offer you this and I don't ask for anything. Just try that a couple of times in your normal practice and see what happens. I think it's a very, very powerful connection for human beings. I like what you're saying. It turned, it's, it's if God's nature is love, and, and in my tradition, the Holy Spirit, God, Christ, they overflow. The, the relationship creates an overflow. The overflow is natural. It's the nature of the Godhead. It's the nature of the Trinity is to overflow. In other words, we should be as our nature and overflow. So sacrifice in that sense isn't something that you're giving up. It's something that you're offering that, that will actually put you in alignment with reality, right? That, that I'm getting into an alignment with reality. I'm not doing something that, like my priest used to always say is, someone who loves never feels like it's a sacrifice. Right. I'm not so sure about that. I think that's in love, by the way. <laughs> I think in love that it never feels. I think love after in love, and in love can go on for a long time, and then I'm still in love. It can go on for a long time, but um, there is love, which is work. And for me, what Ooh. is love? We use this word, what is it? For me, after many, many years as a semantic thinker, I've only come up with, this is the best I can come up with. Love is selfless giving. When a, An example, when a mother is um, feeding her children and she has only enough to put this much on each plate and she feeds them and they say one of the children perhaps a highly empathetic one will say mommy where's yours and the others are obviously gobbling away and she says oh, i had mine already then the children go away and that child one of them that empathetic child comes back and looks in the doorway and sees mum eating a discarded crust that one mm -hmm. of the kids didn't eat and that's all she has to eat and mothers all over the world are doing that every single day. Mm -hmm. Billions of them. Mm -hmm. And this is selfless giving. And this is yeah. love. And it's, it, it, we can throw the word around, but uh, if it isn't selfless and it isn't giving, it, it isn't really love. It might be for various other things. And so that's why, I mean, I, I can say, you know, there is there some of the things I say, people might find them, you know, contradictory to what something they already think and believe. Please don't take it as any kind of teaching. I'm an eternal student and it's just an opinion. Absolutely. Oh, but we often hear, to give an example, we often hear the phrase, you have to love yourself before you can love others. I, I think I understand what that means. It, what they're saying is you have to nurture yourself. You have to be kind to yourself. You have to take care of yourself. You have to put your own mask on first before you put it on the next person sitting next to you on the plane and so on. Um, you do have to look after yourself and so on. And in that package as well, I think you have to like yourself. You have to get to a point where you look in the mirror and you say, it's not perfect, but it'll do. I can make this work. I can do this. Mm -hmm. And it's enough. Thank you. It's enough. I can make this work. <laughs> I'm going to do my thing now. See you later. That if you can do this and feel good about yourself and you look in the mirror, it's a huge thing. So all of that is what they mean, I think, when they say love yourself. But for me, love is selfless giving, and it's you, you, I don't think you can selflessly give to yourself. It, it, ah. There's an inconsistency because it becomes a tautology. It just goes around and around in That's circle. Right. It does involve another thing. It's selflessly giving to an animal, selflessly giving to your loved one, your cherished ones, selflessly giving to a tree, to the sky, to whatever. 
it's selflessly giving to that thing. That this this is loving that thing. Yeah. And I think when you it involves something else, in other words, other than just yourself. If you look in the mirror and say, "I love you," there's probably you might have gone a tad too far. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I like what you said. It might not be possible. It might not be possible because you're meant to give to the other. That's the only way to have full realization of love is is that there is another. Yeah, I, 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 I get that. I think that mirror check is, I can make this work. This is good. You're ready to give love. Yeah, you're ready to give of yourself. Well, we're trying to do this stuff with our work that led us to you. That and you were kind enough to come on here. Will you? Will you tell folks, because there are a lot of people that are going to say, oh, that's the guy that wrote Sean, and they're going to come, and, you know, Americans want to be in touch with this great book and your work and your music. What's going on? What are you getting ready to do now with your artistic life? I know that there's there's an album you're putting out. I know that there's a movie being made. Will you just share some of that with us before before we're finished? Uh, it's a TV series, actually, uh, with Charlie Hunnam uh, in the uh, lead role. Of Shantram. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Would be a terrific guest on your show. Deeply spiritual young man. Um, tremendously impressive. I, I love Charlie, in fact. He's become very, very close. I like him so much, so much. And he's one of those, it's funny, you meet a young person you admire, if you know what I mean, you're looking up to. Uh, he's a young guy I look up to. Very, very good, decent, nice, talented actor, terrific guy. And he would really have a lot to tell you, a lot to say and share from his personal experiences and so on. Um, I, the TV series is going ahead. They're shooting right now, uh, which I'm glad to say after the COVID hiatus, um, they pulled together and did it with a, a terrific team. And um, they're devoted and dedicated and doing a really good job. I'm really happy with that. Um, and I you know, leave them to that. I'm on my side doing my own creative stuff and we, we just stay in touch. Um, uh, we also have three albums coming out this year. We released Love and Faith, an album of songs. Um, we hope that provides some maybe consolation in this world of difficulty mm-hmm. and some inspiration never to give up because please believe me, I've been, anyone listening, I have been in some of the darkest holes you can think of. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I was so close to giving up so many times and I'm here now radiantly happy with my life and with everything that's happening at peace with myself, doing my best to be a decent person to make amends and build up my karmic you know, collection mm-hmm. and so on. And so happy to be here. And anyone out there who's on the edge, never give up. Please never give up. It mm-hmm. will get better. It mm-hmm. will. Just as long as you never give up, it will get yeah. better. So, you know, we're, um, we put out Love and Faith for those reasons, the album, 16 songs. And that's, that's out and doing really well. We have some videos for that. We've got another eight videos in uh, train for this year. We have another 15 singles coming out, three more albums this year, three nice. new albums, two are already wow. finished wow. and in mastering. Um, we have so much else as well. The, the book, The Spiritual Path, will come out in September, and that's just a little book about what it meant to, what I had to do to get myself ready to take the leap of faith, mm-hmm. and then what happened when I did, and what happened in some years of devotion, in five years of immersion in this experience. In a little book about this, that might provide some people with some things that they may find useful in their own mm-hmm. spiritual path journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's coming out in September. It's already available in ebook. Uh, people can check that out. That's already there. We're also bringing out three other books this year, which are love stories, um, uh, just basically um, escapist love to take people into three love stories across different spans of time and so on. So mm-hmm. we're bringing those out. Is that right? This year. Yes. Um, by your just, hand, by your hand. 
Your, oh, of course. Your, your, yes. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, can't wait. Called, thank you. The series is called Soul, Soul of My Soul. And there are three love stories. I think in this time of suffering and everything else, I didn't want to bring out three books that are about madness and war yeah, and crime. Good for you. I wanted to bring out love stories that are as pure escapism. Go in thank there, you, Greg. get into a thank different you, world, Greg. and come back out of it. Thank you. Do they, do they, are, they set, are they set uh, in the East? Or they, where, where are they there set? There are mythical, mythical lands that I've Oh, yeah? Invented. Really? Fantastic. Yes. The first one is in the year 923 AD. The second one is in the year 1623 AD. And the third one is in the future, 2323 AD. Oh, man. So these are pure escapist love stories that I, I hope give people some joy and some uh, escape from the madness that's around us at the moment. <laughs> Great. I'll put all these links and people want to click. They can go into your website and, and uh, find all of this good stuff. So it's been good talking to you. Fantastic. And very much to you too. Yes. Well, uh, we just at that point um, were at where uh, I could continue an association with you guys. I'd really like to let us um, big you up on our social media and so on and let everyone we know uh, about what you're doing. For, uh, I've been an analyst for a long time. Um, people don't know that necessarily, but um, I've been hired by different um, groups to analyze data, especially by NGOs and so on, to look at their data sets, analyze it and give them back a, a report. Many, many times I've seen a top-down approach where people are very well-meaning, but they're bringing in this heavy-handed top-down approach, like we got the answers, we're coming in to tell you what to do and how to do it. And it may well be that they have skills that the people they're um, ostensibly helping don't have. But um, again and again, I've tried to advise people, start from the ground up, get in there and live in that community, You know, ask people to accept you, Go into that community humbly, do the hum most humble kind of work you can do and learn and listen, learn and listen, learn and listen, because this is not just how you can then serve that community to the, be the best of your potential and help them to fulfill themselves to the best of their potential, but it also is developing you as a human yes. being. You are learning. This You can sit there and study anthropology for two years and learn brilliant things about our, our human nature and what we have in common and what we don't those kinds of things. But this is anthropology, sociology, psychology, at every level of this immersive experience that you're talking about. It's so brilliant as a rounding out of a human being. It's And for people to go into it with a good intention, it's just amazing because what they get out of it is a huge blessing. They Many of them will not even know the capacity and power of their own intention to form the path in front of them, to manifest the path and to manifest the things that are going to appear on that path. Many won't even know that, but their pure intention in going there in the first place to try to do something in a humble way, in an immersive way, which involves sacrifice of time, energy, patience, and so on, cutting off from all sorts of other people, the kind of things that we went through excruciatingly in COVID, they're volunteering to <laughs> yeah, do. that's right. You know that's what right. I mean? like, this is amazing. <laughs> it's so right, and it's so good, and for the, for the people themselves and for everyone else, that pure intention going in. And the humble, immersive experience is a blessing for the community, but a blessing for the person who does it. There's a line that I've, I've used before. It's honor is the art of being humble. If I had been humble in my life, I would never have committed the crimes I had. Humility, genuine humility would have stopped me. And that would have been the essence of uh, what did I discard when I committed those crimes? I discarded my honor as a human being. I sacrificed my humility 
on the altar of my own ego. And, and to, to, to quench my own thirst at that time, I became arrogant, which is what it is when you stand in front of a person and demand money. And that's, it's the supreme um, frightening form of arrogance. So what you're doing is practicing the, the honor, which is the art of being humble. And I love it. It's terrific what you guys, thank you so much for inviting me into this podcast. I've enjoyed it tremendously. If we, if it shows up on our website, the art of being humble, don't be mad at me. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, you under you, you get what we're doing. And it's a blessing that 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 to have you on here. So uh, I'll 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 be in touch. And and Greg, really, uh, it was just a joy. Thank you, brother. And and you know, if you're American listeners, speaking as someone who's never even been to the United States of America but who's been grown, has grown up his entire life with American culture in Australia. As a kid, we got more American culture than we did Australian culture yeah. as a child growing up. We simply did. Yeah. And we were like a colony of the United States of America in a strange kind of way, culturally, an outpost, a cultural outpost. And um, for me, as an outsider, America is bigger than any idea anyone puts on it. It's a right. huge idea. Right. It's a vast idea, and it, it's still a very young country, and it's becoming and becoming and becoming. And we ask ourselves, what would the world be without America? Not so much what is wrong with America and all that. Yes, that's true. But what would the world be without America? And what an over, what a reach culturally, intellectually, artistically, creatively, mm -hmm. this amazing reach, this crucible of beautiful creativity and so on. It's a bigger idea than any, any idea that anyone wants to impose on it. And I have faith in American, American people. God bless you all. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Okay. Uh, until next time, this is uh, episode 48. What a nice day. God bless. Take care. That was Gregory David Roberts. GR to you, Shenny's Gagi Marjos. That means, well, it means to you the victory. That was a great conversation. I'm very glad we had it. There are a million things to discuss, as always, on this show. But for right now, that's our pod. Gagi Marjos to you, Greg. Gagi Marjos to all the artists out there. Gagi Marjos to Andrew Schwark and Daniel Paternos, who produced this. Hi, guys. Our pod is brought to you by First Things Foundation. That's us. That's a nonprofit. We live and work in some of the world's toughest neighborhoods, where we immerse for two years and really just try to spend our lives becoming, well, shall we say, whole. And in so doing, we try to produce really cool projects that are grounded in the local cultures, local customs, and the local people, their ideas. First Things Foundation. Check us out online. Say thumbs up to stuff. Click on stuff. Do stuff that makes us known. Because what we're trying to do is just reach out, create awareness, and of course resources for our work. This is Watar. That was Gregory David Roberts. Peace out. Nakvamdis. Hasta luego.